Like you live in an area that's just full of violence. When things happen, nine times out of ten is going to be another reaction to that action. So, I mean, it sounds like you were within your right and defending yourself. Like, was it because you, the, the weapon that you used was not registered? You know, it, it is apparent you're, you're defending yourself. And yet here you are talking to us from prison. See, even with knowing that, that everything happened in self-defense, the prosecutor tried to paint a different picture for the jury. The prosecutor tried to paint a picture that it was gang-related, we was going back and forth, and because they was in this gang, which they was and I'm affiliated with this gang, I was doing what was necessary to send the message to them that they're not supposed to mess with us. Well, that's farthest from the truth. So that's how they try to paint the picture. So they try to paint the picture of how everything just happened just because I chose to go do it and it had nothing to do with self-defense. And part of the reason of that is on the day that the victim got shot for the murder charge, as I told you earlier, one of his friends was walking past. One of his friends in the affidavit that he, when I had ran, he went to his friend's aid and took his friend's cell phone, drugs off of him, and his gun so the police won't find it. So when the police come on the scene, they don't have his gun there, and they don't have my gun. So even when I get locked up and they know he got shot, they're like, okay, we know that for a fact that you shot him, but we didn't find a gun on him. But his friend came out in the affidavit and said it's because he took the gun. So they just try to paint a picture at trial that it was just a straight kill and it didn't have anything to do with self-defense. Yeah, they made it seem like you shot an unarmed man. Yeah, that's how they try to paint the picture. What were your thoughts on how your lawyer handled your case going through that process? I think that he could have handled it better in certain aspects of asking more questions from a lot of the witnesses. Like certain questions he hit, he, he like went across a couple of points, but I think that he could have definitely want a little bit more of finding answers. It's like one point we was talking to one of the crime scene experts and he was explaining how the way that I was standing and the way that the victim was standing that it was impossible for the victim to fire a shot. I told him to ask them that they said that they searched the area behind where the victim was, like any uh, almost anything, and they didn't find anything. They said in the area where I was standing at behind me, they never searched that area. Also is the fact that one of the bullets in the victim had an uh, entry and an exit wound. So we all know that means that one of the, the bullet projectile, it came out. They try to say that the victim didn't fire a shot because the kind of gun that he had, they didn't find any shell cases. Because if you use a, any type of Glock, a uh, shell case will pop out. But I told my lawyer to point out the fact that just because they didn't find a shell case in it, they try to say the reason they didn't find it because maybe it got mixed up in the victim clothes or somebody clothes when they was mixing them up. So they just try to paint the picture like he actually didn't take a shot. However, we had an exit wound on the victim and they didn't find that bullet either. So I was telling my lawyer, like, you got to make sure that you express that, like, just how they try to say they didn't find this shell casing. They also didn't find the bullet that came out. So the same thing could have happened to both of them. So 
that was like one of the things I wanted to for him to talk about more. It was two witnesses, two females that was around the corner that said that they actually heard shots. And they said they heard a total of five shots. So victim got shot five times, so the prosecutor tried to use it like, well, they heard five shots, so he only got shot five times. However, what my lawyer didn't go into more was their description of the shooter was everything that the victim was wearing. Same gun, clothing, everything. It didn't describe me at all. And they know this for a fact. Also, it was another witness, Brian Wilson. He said that he heard seven shots. And he was closer than what they were. It was another female that lived in an apartment complex that didn't get called as a witness, but she said that she heard six shots. So they just try to paint it as like, okay, he got shot five times. These witnesses say they heard five shots. Not going over the fact that they also described the shooter, everything that he was wearing. Not me. His height, his description, everything. Not me. And even on top of this, until this day, no matter if it was the guy that was walking ahead of me, the two females that said they heard anything, or anybody in that vicinity, they didn't have one witness that came and testified and said that they seen me walk up in the shooter's guy. They have no witness that said that they see me fire the first shot. Every witness that they had said that they only seen the end of the shooting. And two of them didn't identify me. only had one guy that identified me. But at the end of the day, that wasn't an issue. It's a self-esteem case. It's nobody that says that I just walked up into the shooter's guy at all, period. Is this attorney appointed to you or uh, by the state, or did you, uh, you and your family actually seek out an attorney? Well, it was appointed to me from the uh, public defender's office. His name was Robert Kelly. So that was the one that I had. And even though, like, going into it, nobody that's just a regular person know a lot about law unless you went to law school. But I was going about logic and stuff that makes sense. So it's like stuff I used to just try to tell them during the midst of the trial. Like, logically, this just don't sound right for them to say this. And they just you try to use it as truth. That's like even when you go, all right, this is another thing. My trial that I had, my attempted murder and my murder was not severed. I had one trial for everything. So while they calling witnesses, this witness might be testified about the attempted murder. The next witness might be uh, testified about the murder, and you're going back and forth. So I didn't have a different trial. Even the crime scene expert on when they brought him up about the attempted murder charge, they said that they found projectiles that matched two different guns in two completely opposite directions. But yet, the crime scene expert try to paint the picture that if I didn't know how to fire a gun properly, it could have been me. But how is that possible if it was two different type of bullets? I didn't have two guns. So I think I just feel like it's different stuff like that he could have worked more in depth into. Not only that, he sounds like he completely like they completely ignored the testimony from two of the witnesses then, one saying seven shots, one saying six shots. Yes. They absolutely did that. And, like, even with the attempted murder case, the guy that was a victim three days later, Tali, he was there for the attempted murder case. That's what the first time he fired at me, I fired back. What was that day, right? His friend that got shot sat there and said that 
he was present and then changed his mind and said that he wasn't present, right? So this is a person that has a, a tie to this guy, is his friend, you know he's going to try to keep him out of everything. Cool. That's his friend. You have a witness that don't know me that lives right outside of where this happened at. You have 60 seconds remaining. She told them that she knew who this guy was. Knew for a fact that he was there. The lead detective said that they just didn't listen to her testimony. They listened to the victim because he was there. She knows them. She identifies all of them there. They didn't take that into consideration. So it's like a lot of stuff. Little you have 30 seconds remaining. I gloss over. Like another thing that was like going on in my trial that I wanted my lawyer to question too was, I at the end of a trial they give the jury the charges, uh, they charge the jury or whatever your charges are, right? Around somewhere in 2008 they started, they came out with new case law saying that self defense also applies to lesser included charges. So like if you found not guilty of murder, and they go to a lesser included, which is passion provocation or uh, voluntary manslaughter. Self defense also applies to that. When it came time for them to send all of like the written instructions for each charge inside to the jury for the deliberations, they sent everything in there except for the self defense stuff. Also, is on my verdict sheet is everything except for self defense. So even though the judge knew that was my defense at trial, the prosecutor knew about it, they never put it on the verdict sheet as an option for the jury to give it to me as an option. How old were you when you first got arrested then, when they brought you into prison? How old were you at that time? Oh, uh, I was 19 years old, like months before my 20th birthday. When it comes to appeals, uh, options that you've been taking, like where are you right now? Do you have any other plays that you, you can make? Well, right now, I have, I'm waiting on the course. I have something. They have a, a CRU, the Conviction Review Unit that they started a couple of years ago, maybe about five years ago. So basically, it's, it's like a little branch inside the attorney general's office and they review your case and if they feel that you should get released in any type of way whether that you get released altogether or if you supposed to get a lesser included charge they will sit there and make sure that that happens i submitted my paperwork with them maybe four years ago and so far it's still going but the good thing about that is i know a lot of other people that submitted they stuff through there, and if you don't have anything coming for you from them, they'll let you know that up front. So it's been four years, so that means they're still looking through stuff. I got a couple of affidavits from a couple of people that they never even talked to, but people mentioned that was out there. So I have that right there in the court, so I'm just waiting on them. To, you know, being that I started getting affidavits from their witnesses, then everything started getting me in a runaround. They didn't want to start postponing court dates. Whereas if I have a court date today, they cancel it and tell me I got a court date sometime next year. So once I started getting the affidavit, that's when a lot of stuff started changing on my appeal right there. So are you are you remaining hopeful at this point? You haven't lost hope? No, absolutely not. I, I, I believe and I trust that everything happens for a reason. I pray a lot. You know, I have my faith in God that he's going to work everything out for my good at the end of the day. So I just continue to hold on to that. And at the end of the day, 
yet somebody lost their life, it was their son, and I sympathize with them for that. But the court system, in essence, is trying to make me pay for something that they know I should not be paying for the amount of time that they got. They sentenced the 60 years for the charges. And even when I was on my first part of my appeal in 2009, 2010, which is the record bill, I have it, a piece of paperwork that the judges, even though they denied that part of my appeal, they said that it was enough in my case and enough testimony that warrant me to get self-defense. Or at the very least, passion provocation. Passion provocation only holds 10 years. So I'm like six and a half years over that. Worst case scenario. So, but you know, I know everything is going to work out. And I just put my faith and my trust in the God that he's going to work it out at the right time. Me and you were talking a couple days back and you, you're you 100% right. It could be any time now that you get your court case and you're set free. Time served. Yeah, absolutely. And and that's what, you know, I'm waiting for. You know, because like, it's never too late to correct the wrong. Okay, I know I can't ever get the 16 and a half years back. That won't ever come back no matter what happens. But it's about making everything right from this point forward. So, all right, y'all know y'all made a mistake. Okay, give me what I was supposed to get in this situation and let me go home. Because the crazy thing is, like I said, I was went to court in Monmouth County in maybe 2008, right after I got sentenced, when I first came down here. I was reading a newspaper article of somebody in Atlantic County, and they went home off of a self-defense case. And a scenario I felt was way worse than mine. It was a guy that ran into two guys in the store. They have everything on camera. One guy is talking trash to another guy. He don't like that he's talking trash to him. He pulls out his gun and he shoots him, kills him, and they said that was self-defense. I'm like, if that's self-defense, what happened in my case then? That's ridiculous. So let me ask you this, Sean. Uh, there's a, a lot of people that come out of prison that end up becoming repeat offenders. How much thought have you put into what your plans are going to be when you walk out those doors? As me and Jill told the other day, I already started my plans. I'm not going to wait until I get home and to get into stuff. So far, what I have done since I've been in here, I take a Bible study course and it's a correspondence in Pensacola, Florida, right? I got about 40 certificates in that. I got uh, ordained as a minister over there. So I got that. On top of that, started a business named Always Expect Greatness, right? And we spell expect X-P-E-C-T. I got that going where it's apparel, it's e-books. I published, we got 15 e-books on our website. I published about 13 of them myself that I actually wrote from like different short stories. One of them, it's actually a book wrote uh, like four short stories. It's called Life of Prison, A Journey Through My Heart. And I actually got like my first day in prison. And I got like a couple of other short stories of being in here. So I started that. Uh, my mother helped me out and my son helped me out with like my social media and my Instagram. So with that right there, I do like 30 seconds to 90 second motor uh, speeches that they upload for me on there. You know, I just had a, one of my poems published at the uh, Prison Journalist Project. I'm in a course here called Captive Voices where I'm in a system of getting my journalist license. And then as I started off with like Mike that runs the Prison Audio Podcast that connected us together, me 
being might go back and forth of a lot of stuff that he's helped with as well. So it's like I already started putting stuff into motion even before I even get there. Because coming back to prison is not an option. That's amazing, bro. That's amazing. Congratulations. 100% congratulations on all of those achievements. So, you know, I just take it one day at a time. I keep my faith in God. I know you're going to take care of everything for me. And on my day-to-day life in here, outside of, like, the work, as far as, like, working in a job I have in here, all I do is just try to prepare for when I get out there, vision myself where I want to see myself at, and try to just my best to work to put myself in that position. Because one of the things I want to do is when I get there and do have that platform, I definitely want to be an advocate to come back and help those in prison, whether they had a similar situation like mine or not. Because the one thing, and this is why I appreciate y'all too, the one thing a lot of us in prison don't have is a platform to have our voice to get out there for people to know what's really going on. And that right there is like, is is great for people in prison to have. Absolutely. You mentioned you have a son? Yes, I have a son and two daughters. My son just turned 19. My daughter, my oldest daughter will be turning 19 on June 8th. And I have a youngest daughter who's turning 18 in September. And I have a grandson that's like one year and a couple of months old. Wow, bro. How has your relationship been? with your children now do you get to speak to them often oh absolutely i credit that to my mother my father the one thing like regardless of anything of being in here they always made sure and i'm not at odds with uh my son and my youngest daughter have the same mother my oldest daughter have a different mother and i'm not at odds with them but my parents make sure since day one of being in here that I always have some type of contact with my kids. So like years of when they was coming up, my parents would bring them up here almost every weekend to see me at a contact visit. And then as they got older, you know, when they got their own cell phones, I talked to them maybe about four or five times out of the week. So now being that they're older, I'm like, yeah, y'all can just come over here when y'all want to in your own terms. But it's like we still maintain a great relationship throughout this whole time. And they had questions about me being there, and I keep it 100% with them. I tell them what was what, what what happened, what the expectation, everything. So we still have a great relationship to this day. For someone that's been in there for that long, with your faith in God, did it ever waver throughout that, that period? I think that's just a natural process on anybody who walk with God. That's just my opinion. But, like, I think it wavers because, like, going through this situation, you know, like, looking at the laws, looking at everything else that have happened around you, is like, okay, God, I know my part in this situation, but I know it shouldn't be to the extent of what I'm facing, right? But at the end of the day, the more you grow in your faith, you know that, it always say you turn out everything for your good and everything for your footsteps is being ordered by him. So to me, it's like, all right, going through this process, I'm not going to sit here and let it get me down in spirit. I'm just going to continue to trust in whatever God got planned for me and just allow him to use me however that he can while I'm in this situation. And however he sees fit, then I'm just going to go with it and just give him glory along the way. And so I get back out there on the street, and that's going to be my next chapter in life of in for him out there as a different man. Because remember, I was 19 when I came in here. Now I'm 36 years old. 
So I'm a completely different man from what I was. But my faith, it wavers at time, but I just stand firm on his word that I know that he's going to get me through it at the end of the day. Being in prison, outside of being away from the family, what do you think is the greatest obstacle you face while being in there? I think it comes down to limitation sometimes. It's like, all right, we're in here. We have a kiosk where we can, we got a tablet. We can email people, send 30-second videos. But the world in 2023 is completely different than it was in 2006, right? You had, like, iPhone 14 now. You wasn't at iPhone 1 back in 2006. It was like, with technology... It's so much that is upgraded. Social media is like the most prevalent thing out there now. This is how everybody connects. So it's like just the adjustment of once I'm out there, of just knowing how everything is. You have 60 seconds remaining. Where it's like, all right, this is how you network. This is how you connect with people. But I stay abreast of everything. I read a lot of, like, uh, my family, a couple of my friends still there send me, like, a lot of different magazines. So I stay on top of everything, the latest stuff going. So I personally say I'm going to fit in very well and just adjust to it. And it's going like I didn't miss anything at all. That's just my personal opinion. Why don't you take us through what a typical day of yours is like while being in there? I got something different for every day. This prison is a maximum prison. So for the most part, you locked in your cell for about 22 and a half hours a day, unless you have a job or go to a program or go to school or something like that. Other than that, the only time you're coming out is the three times to go to the mess hall to eat, to use your 20 minutes for the kiosk or shower. So you locked in about 22 and a half hours a day. I actually work from about uh, 2 o'clock to about 9 o'clock at night. So that's why I work. If I'm not going to wreck in the morning, whether I'm going outside or going to the gym to play basketball, uh, sleep or I get up and try to get some work done. I'm always in here meditating, trying to think of different content to come up with, to uh, put on my social media platforms. I'm sitting here. I know I drive my mother crazy a lot because I might read something and try to find like a hundred different email addresses for me to reach out to people pertaining to different things. So I sit here and send her like one email and they have her and base it and send it to like a hundred people. So that's about like most of my mornings and nights. Certain days, like on Wednesdays, Thursdays, I go to uh, my Bible study services. Sunday morning, I go to church. Uh, Tuesdays, I take my writing class. Mondays, for the most part, we do like laundry on the terrace. So I'm like sorting out the laundry for the guys that's on the unit that I'm on. And I'm just, I just chill and just try to get as much done as I can in here. So I can make it as easy as transition for what I get out there. So that's basically what I do, just just work all day. And yeah. outside of that, like, I've got good friends in here, a couple of guys, some other guys, you know how to speak in passing. Other people that see what I'm doing, I try to pour in them as much as I can. And pour them as much as I can. I actually, being that I didn't learn a lot, what I learned with my business and setting it up, I didn't help three people so far set up their own businesses since since then. So it's like I just try to pour into people and just you know just help them as any way as I can each day. 
Jay and I were just talking before you reconnected uh, just on how rare it is uh, to have such a, a support system. You're saying how, you know, you're kind of bugging your mother quite a bit. I think it's it's amazing that your entire family is supporting you through this because a lot of people kind of push that family away when they're in a position like that because they don't want to be seen like that. Yeah, no, that that is true. It's, it's a lot of people that's in here that do not have any type of family support. I remember my first two years down here in this prison. And I remember one day I probably got like, this is before JPay with emails and all that. So every piece of mail you get is handwritten mail. So I remember one day I got like 10 pieces of mail from different people I know. So then the next day I get 10 pieces of mail. So on this day, I happen to be around a guy that's been locked up for about, i say about over 20 years at the time. So I'm complaining to myself, like, damn, I got to write more letters. I just got 10 letters yesterday, 10 letters a day. I got more letters to write. He literally stopped me and said, you should be thankful. Locked up 20 years, and I didn't even have a total of 10 letters until this day. So that right there learned me to be more appreciative of the people that I do have there. Like as far as my parents, though, my two brothers, I got my kids. I got a couple of friends that I grew up with since I was like five years old that's still there. There's some people that I didn't met along the way of being in here that's friends with me until this day. So I'm definitely appreciative of that support system. That That's something to be very thankful for. Absolutely. In here, I learned that you cannot complain at all because you start complaining about certain stuff. It's a hundred people to you that don't have that at all. Like I said, my mother do a lot of stuff, right? So even in times that she's busy or my son do stuff for me and he's busy and they're like, I can't do it right now, I don't even complain because I might have 10 people on a tier that I'm on that don't even have a mother or don't even have anybody to do something for them, period, that won't even pick up the phone when they call. So I just learned just to be appreciative and don't complain about nothing at all, period. That's so true. Before we uh, close out every episode, we always ask our, our guests to uh, give out maybe some advice. Is there something that you'd like to say for someone that might be going through a similar experience right now, going through this process? What advice can you give to them? The one thing I want to say that's useful for me is pray. Right? Even when your prayers don't get answered right then and there, God's always listening, and he's always going to work it out on his time. And it might not be how you like it or how you want it to be. It's always going to work out, right? Also, don't give up hope at all, because a lot of people give up and think that it's over for them when your blessing and breakthrough could be right around the corner. So you just got to stay persistent of who you are and continue to do what you do on a daily basis and just let everything fall into place how it needs to be. And just, just in general, try to connect with people, right? Because you never know who you can connect with that might be a blessing to you and you could be a blessing to another person. So for like people in here, I know it's easy for us for the incarcerated side to give up. And even people on the street, you know, you go through so much stuff that can just wear you down and become burdensome. But just pray and don't give up because it's always going to be a silver line in every situation. It's always going to be a rainbow on the other side of whatever you're going through. So just just keep going. That's, that's all I can say. Thank you so much, Sean, for your time today. It's greatly appreciated. Where can the people find you on your socials and that? You can find me on Instagram. 
is S H A W J O H N twelve twenty two. So that's my Instagram right there. I'm on YouTube at Sean Robert Johnson. Uh, my TikTok is the same as my Instagram. My Twitter is S dot seven S D O T seven. And if you want to check out my website, it's alwayspect.com. And if anybody ever wanted to contact me via uh, email at our kiosk, we just go on JPEG. Absolutely. And we'll put all those links in the description of this video right down there. I definitely appreciate y'all. Like I said, I definitely appreciate Mike plugging us in together, you know, and we enjoy this. We definitely got to do this many more times. So Absolutely. shout out to y'all. Shout out to that Prison Audio Podcast. And I appreciate what all y'all are doing. It's definitely, it's definitely great. Thank you so much for your time today, Sean. We'll be in touch soon, bro. I appreciate y'all. Have Broken a great day, podcast. bro. Thank you so much for spending your night with us. Broken Home Podcast. Hope you all have a great week.